0: I had many great assistants in my life, and one of them, when I was coaching the national team of Italy in the 90s, he told me a great lesson. He said, you know what, Ettore? Basketball is an easy sport where everybody touches the ball, and then the best shooter shoot. And it's a great, great lesson, because you cannot have the people happy to compete and play defense and be part of the program if they don't touch the ball
1: I'm Dan Kriporian, and I'm Patrick Carney, and welcome to Slap It Glass, exploring basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today is a replay of one of our most popular episodes of all time with Olympia Milano head coach, Ettore Messina. In this terrific conversation, Coach Messina discusses the art of playbook design, establishing a team identity. And we talk the importance of adaptability in coaching and productive practice segments during the always fun start sub or sit unique and absolute must the most helpful and highest quality coaching content anywhere these are some of the comments coaches are using to describe their experience with sg plus from nba and ncaa championship coaching staffs to all levels of international and high school basketball SG Plus is designed to help curious coaches discover, explore, and understand the what, why, and hows of what the best in the world are doing. Through our easily searchable 750 plus video archive on SGTV, to our live coaches social in Las Vegas, SG Plus is the assistant you would hire if your athletic director didn't already give this stipend to football. And now, Please enjoy our conversation with coach Ettore Messina. Coach a lot we want to dive in with you today on and off the court and so we'll just get right to it. The first thing we want to discuss is just how you think about playing to strengths, helping both players and the team as a whole play to their strengths and making all the pieces fit together.
0: Let me say a couple of things. First of all, I think that one of the major goals you have as a coach and as a group is to develop an identity, to find a way that you can feel efficient and you can, let's say, enjoy yourself in your own look. So I asked my team, how do we get to feel comfortable in our own way of playing and the way we look? You know, sometimes you think your team should run and your players feel more comfortable if they slow down the game. They think that they have more of a chance. If they're slower and vice versa, I'm just making extreme examples, but I think it's important that you share an idea of how we can feel good in our own skin. Once I said that, that goes through, of course, using our strength, but I also learned along the way that if uh, playing off your strength means that you exhaust the search for mismatches, you probably have a high chance to break the flow of your game and lose somebody on the road, somebody that might feel out of the flow, somebody might feel out of the offensive game, somebody might feel you're not part of the team. So I think it's more important to have an identity, which of course takes care of your own strength and hide your weaknesses. But more important is probably to not lose your focus and your flow once you start playing the game. Overall, I have many great assistants in my life. And one of them, when I was coaching the national team of Italy in the 90s, he told me a great lesson. He said, you know what, Ettore? Basketball is an easy sport where everybody touches the ball and then the best shooter shoot. And it's a great, great lesson. Because you cannot have people happy to compete and play defense and be part of the program if they don't touch the ball enough. If they're just setting screens or spreading the floor or they have defensive assignment. This is not soccer or American football where you can play only defense because your role requires that and you're still very valuable. People want to be part of the offense. Want to feel used for their abilities, you know? But then, if you want to win, it's not equal opportunity that everybody shoots every time he's got the ball. I mean, there's got to be some discipline where We find a way to have our best shooters have more options for shooting the ball. It's simple, but it requires time, requires self discipline, requires accountability, requires respect for the roles, requires buying in in a plan. And that's probably the beauty of our profession.
2: Coach, just to follow up on that, when you establish the identity, like you said, then getting people to accept their roles, what are the conversations like? How do you explain to them that to get the buy in that, yeah, maybe you're not our best shooter, so you're you're not going to get to shoot as much as you like, but for the benefit of the team, we need you to do, you know, X, Y, Z.
0: Coach Paul, that we all know, and I've been lucky to be on with him for five years, use a very, very interesting couple of words. He says, brutal honesty. He bases his relationship with the players on brutal honesty, meaning that he never sugarcoats anything. He tells them the truth and he tries to get to pick their brain. Because it's not that he goes there and, and he always says, You're gonna do this, this, and this. He tries also to figure out how that player will probably feel more engaged and tries to develop, he has a lot of respect for the person before the player. And because of that, he knows that telling the players the truth and try to make him feel a part of the game, it's very important. Now the thing comes with an absolute respect of everybody, let's say game meaning if i say here we're all important because we need to win games and if is important blah, and then i do an interview and i always talk about the players who scored 25 points my players will immediately understand hey hey here regardless the all nice words if you score you're more valuable you know if uh, let's say in milano we have uh, standards in terms of how we reward financially players if i go to a player and say listen we need a guy like you that can rebound, lock down our defense, have a presence inside. One of those, let's call it supporting cast, top-level players. And those players have a value in the market. And then we want to bring him one here, and then we offer much less than his market value. I'm telling him, you're not as important to us like I was trying to explain you with my words. So there is a lot of behaviors that go down to earn the respect of the players and the fact that they might buy him. There's another thing. We always talk about the read the defense. Okay, We all coaches, we are obviously happy if a player read the defense and breaks a play, reacting accordingly to what the defense did. But now the player, who's not a great shooter, breaks the play, catches the ball because he slipped to the rim, he missed the shot, and I just go nuts. He's probably thinking, the hell with reading the defense. Next time I'll do what you <laughs> told me to do. And Don't ask me for more. So again, to evaluate performances on how decisions are according to our, let's say, basketball philosophy, game plan, rules that we have on offense and defense, it's something. If you evaluate game decisions or only on the outcome, that's not fair, if that makes sense. yeah. Yeah. I think uh, all these things to me are extremely important, much more than make a bucket or not. Of course, the final step is that Let's say we value performances okay and we value decisions but practice also let us understand that there are players that because of their talent they can take more risks than other players you know in few words when we say you got to shoot when you're open but to me at my age and my skills to be open means that i need my defender to be probably 5 feet away from me correct mm-hmm. otherwise i yeah. cannot even shoot the ball if you bring an athlete with great skills, he can probably make shots even with somebody on him, correct? Because he has the ability to create separation, to stay up in the air for maybe that split second that gives him the opportunity to follow through, whatever. So we want to shoot with the open man like me, or want to accept a contested shot by the player who can make 50% of his shot, even if he's contested because of his skills. So it cannot be all neutral, the valuation of decisions, performances it has got to be taking care of the individual talent and the individual way of doing things. And that's why practice is so important, because I can show my teammate that I can take more responsibility and an even more risk because I'm good enough to do that. And in that case, my teammates will respect that and will accept that. So it's not you as a coach to come down and say, you can do this, you can't do that. You know, mm-hmm. Even if, for example, at the beginning of the year, I had great shooters in my team, one of them Trajan Langdon, general manager of the Pelicans. Trajan knew that he had the green light, meaning that he was coming down the floor, he was open, he could shoot anytime. But not all players had that green light. So we got to get to a point that we share also a mutual understanding and respect for each individual skills and how can any of us impact to the game for the benefit of the team. And that's a continuous learning process, you know, Because you imagine things in preseason, and then you go through practices, preseason games, wins, losses, and then sometimes you understand the player that you thought he was more fit for a supporting role, he blossoms and boom, Mm -hmm. that changed completely the hierarchy inside the team. You know, another big thing is about player development. We all talk about we want to develop players. So in my organization, part of the deal is we assume that you come here in Milan, and even if you're 35, there's something you can improve. So everybody here goes through some, let's say, stint of the practice for player development. So before practice, what the spurs call the daily vitamin, you know, you have 20 minutes, 15 minutes, you know, a slot where you work with a coach, you work on your skills, boom, boom, boom. So we recruit a player, especially a young player. We tell them, listen, big part of here is you come here to improve, not only to play. We want you to be better at the end of the year than you were at the beginning of it. But now here's the counter. I'm a young player. I come in. I work my butt off. I get better. I do extra sessions, blah, 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 blah. And then I prove you that I can do it. Am I going to play more? Or because I'm not a veteran, I'm going to sit on the bench and wait for my turn. That's, let's say, a situation where conflict can arise. And you as a coach have to handle that. Because if you don't take a position and you basically let them fight like at the OK Coral in the Western movies, one against the other, first of all, players will go from competing into fighting for a minute. And that's not healthy. But more important, you will split the team in two because there will be players supporting the newcomer or the guy who's on a rise and players supporting the other one. And that's not necessarily related on status and age. Because maybe I'm a player that regardless, because of what I see in that young guy, I think he can help my game. I feel like we can get better with him. Boom! I want him to play. Others might feel more comfortable with a player who's been playing there for three, four years because they trust him. They give him confidence and whatever. So it's a mess. So you as a coach have to know that when you talk about player development, there is the technical part, skill part, teach, demand, whatever. And then there is how we handle the improvement in terms of how we handle the minutes, the opportunities that we give to all different players. That's a big part of the player development plan. And going back to this first, Paul, the staff, the club, they were always very clear in letting these young kids drafted and come in that, hey, you're probably going to play very little at the beginning. You're going to play the first year, a lot of minutes in the G League. You will keep going back and forth and all of them, the John Murray that now is an all-star, very quiet, but they were all going boom, Austin, San Antonio. Austin, San Antonio. And there was nothing that was felt like, let's say, diminishing You know, because we're assigning you for two weeks uh, with the Austin Spur. No, we're assigning you there because that's part of your player development plan. And that's something I think is very, very important. It's not only what you do in those 15-20 minutes on the court. It's the big picture. You know, sure. how you can develop a player and then you know, smoothly, you fit them in your team. And then after two, three years, boom, all of a sudden. But there are players who are so quick that maybe midway to the first season, they're showing that they're very, very good. So what do we do? We need to bench somebody, probably, to make room. Right. And will that pattern accept that? A lot of things are in
1: plan. Coach, you brought up establishing an identity. I'd love to go back to that for a second. And just your thoughts on, especially early in the season, when you're figuring out the individual strengths of your players and also like the overall strengths of your team? How do you think about building that identity and establishing it, especially early on?
0: There is probably an earlier question that I have in my mind. To me, personally, to feel that I'm contributing to the team and I can be for them the best possible coach, I need two things to happen. I got to have a feel that everybody's busting his ass defensively And secondary, that on offense, we have no, let's say, second thought in sharing the ball. We all know and we all feel like former players, coaches, whatever, that you see a pass and you feel if that pass was done, boom, you know, with no, let's say, second thought or if there was that hesitance to make that pass. And that hesitance can mean a lot, can mean I don't trust you or I want to think a little bit more about my own shot, a lot of stuff. I don't want to deal in that. So I want to have that, what in soccer, they like to see the boom, boom. Okay. Because Popovich calls it good to great. I call it first intention. But let's put it on. So those two things are the priority. Okay. Basically that is in every drill. It's in every practice. It's in every meeting. And as for what we do, honestly, I'm very, very open. I don't have, let's say what you call, if you ask me, my system is all in those two things that I told you, because then, depending on the players I have, I can go, let's say, with a faster team. I had, listen to this, my first EuroLeague team that won the EuroLeague in 98 in Bologna with all the Serbian players, Sasha Danilović, Russian Nesterović, Zoran Savic, Antoine Rigodot, the French player, blah, 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 blah. We played with a 30 seconds clock back then. And just to give you an idea, the final game was 58-49. <laughs> okay? yeah. So, the, I mean, it was, I would say, slow pace. Then, in 2001, the team with Manu Ginobili and Marco Yaric and whatever, we were scoring 90 a game, and we were we were running. That was 24 seconds, three-point shot. We were early offense after made basket team. Boom, 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 boom. Then I had a great pick and roll team in Cesca with Teo Papalucas, David Vanterpool, J.R. Olden, all capable to play pick and roll, shooters, beep, boom, bam, bam, I had a Final Four team with Tyus Edney that, I mean, we were so fast. The team with Rajan Langdon as a shooter and Tyus Edney from UCLA was going. <laughs> so I can adjust, honestly. I had pick and roll teams. I had post up teams. I had not a lot of eyes team because you need international basketball. Iso ball is not so efficient, but going back to the first part of the question, I don't think it's the right thing to do to email unless you can pick only the players that you need for your system, like in college, for example. I think it works vice versa. You need to adjust to the players you have, their own style, and sometimes because of the way teams are built, you might have players who can be more efficient through pick and rolls, and somebody else who's more of a post up. So you need to find combination. You know so. Honestly, we find the identity through the process. Once we have established the fact that everybody buys in and accept those two basic principles.
2: Piggybacking off of that and your adjustability or adaptability, I'm curious about just how you view, let's say, a playbook, especially when playing to the strengths of your players. Are you more, let's have a larger playbook so we can get to specific strengths of our players versus, okay, let's maybe condense our playbook, but be more flow offense, be more read, react, and just let the individual quality take over? First of all, I do not believe that winning
0: basketball is played as a section of plays. But winning basketball is related to how you well play the basic actions of the game. So side pick and roll, top pick and roll, slot pick and roll, how you play against drop, against push, against switch, how you space in all those different situations, how you space with the ball in the post how you attack the switches is very big so to go back to your initial question my playbook usually here's what happened. i work on the concept on the spacing concept right from day one so here is how we space when we run a pick and roll at the slot versus a drop here's how we space and of course how we execute when they push us to the sideline when they ice us okay this is what we do when they switch so as you will know some actions slash play works well against one kind of defense. is not good against another kind of defense. So the playbook, early in the season and for the first probably four, five, six months, I try different things. I have concepts, and then I try different things slash plays who can help me to attack against those defenses. And then in the second part of the season, I cut down to, I don't know, a couple of plays versus drop, a couple of plays versus push, three, four post-up plays, top pick and roll, elbow pick and roll, a couple of exit plays for the shooters, and we put everything together. But it's more one of the biggest difficulties now with modern defenses. Well, let's say what everybody, what top teams do in Europe, they start the defensive action with one pick and roll coverage. For example, ice, you know, they ice the ball to the baseline. And then after the first pick and roll, or after the first ball reversal, or when the clock is down to 14, they switch everything. Now, if you go by place, You should have a play that helps you to attack the ice and then attack the switch. It's a mess. Now, people are all thinking. I think we need to have a concept of how we space to attack a push. For example, pick a roll at the slot, they ice you or they push you towards the baseline. First of all, do you want to keep the guy in the corner or you want to empty the corner? Because that dictates completely different reaction. Second, the position of the B is at the point of the screen or is lower that will allow us, for example, a crossback? Do we have players who are capable to crossback against the push? Because that will require one space. If we have players who need more space to attack the baseline, we need to clear that corner. I don't want to make it too difficult. Those are thoughts that players, we cannot bore them with this. But we as a coaches, going back to the concept of trying to use our strength, we need to know that. Or we need to say to ourselves, do I want to teach the crossback to my two point guards? Okay, I don't care if at the beginning they would not be efficient, Okay, and they would rather have more space and just attack downhill. But I think that to be better at EuroLeague level, you have to, let's say, have control of your crossback. So I'll keep the guy in the corner, and we will work the first weeks to create crossback opportunities. Maybe the players might struggle at the beginning. So keep going i rather work on the actions and on our ability to create new, efficient space through the action, reading what the defense does. Okay, Other coaches, they prefer to have a sequence of plays. And they, from the bench, see what the opponent does and call the different plays. I'm not fine with that. I respect it. I don't think it's the right thing to do, but that's the way it is. My point is, if you keep calling plays and in the middle of the play, they change defense, like now all the top teams are doing. What do we do? You got to have some very good play that allows you to face two different kinds of defense in the same play. So at the beginning, it will be less efficient to teach, to read, and react. And you will be more efficient just executing plays. That's what I believe. In the long run, if you can read and react to all these situations, your team is going
1: well, go on. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Huddle and their latest product, Huddle Instat. Whether for podcast prep, newsletter ideas, or putting together our weekly short and long form video breakdowns, we rely heavily on Huddle Instat's advanced analytics and extensive content library containing over 460 US and international competitions. For more information on Huddle Instat, visit huddle.com slash slapping glass today. The season is here, but we know that many coaches are already looking ahead at international trips in 2024 and 25. Ourselves, along with a number of former podcast guests, cannot say enough great things about our experiences working with Josh Erickson and his team at Beyond Sports. From handling flights, hotels, game scheduling, excursions, service learning opportunities, and more. Josh and his team provide unmatched service and support throughout the entire trip. To learn more about why more than 650 programs have trusted Beyond Sports, visit BeyondSportsTours.com and tell them Slopping Glass sent you.
2: Coach, I guess, how many, if we just take your pick and rolls on average, how many spacings then are you working with? You know, if we look at all the locations? Let me say
0: this top pick and roll, meaning right in the middle. Slot, let's say you're rubbed, is in the middle. Somebody comes, and now you need to do that action against the drop and against the switch or against the weak. Now in Europe, all the top teams, they will weak the guy in the middle. So they will send left, everybody in the middle. So you got to be prepared for that. Now, once that happened and the ball is going towards one side, you need to understand if you want to have two guys behind the pick and roll or just one guy. So you create what they call the short action. So that I'm going left, roller is going away from me. Now we are two-on-one on that side, and the defender of the shooter needs to decide whether he wants to stay with the shooter or help on the roll. Or you might like to have just to give more space to your pointer, to your guard, just one player in the corner, the roller, and two behind you, You know, two shooters behind you. So you work on all different combinations, I think. Then there are teams that you like to attack better with a side-picking roll. Then you have options to use a pick and roll both on the side and the middle with a format. And if the other team doesn't like to switch, now you can slip the four if he's a shooter, you can short roll, you can do a lot of things. Then finally, small, small pick and roll to get, going back to the beginning of our chat, to get the mismatch that you want. You force a switch, and now you force a bad guard defensively to defend your best guard. There are a lot of combinations, I would say, yes. But I cannot have a number for you. And think about this, we have, I think, better shooters in Europe overall, and I would say very good passers, but we don't have the same athleticism. So while in the NBA, sometimes it's enough to slip the pick and roll and these guards, as soon as you shift your feet, they're gone. One of my first time with the Spurs, I had the preparation of a game against OKC, and so I started tones of them because i wanted to do a good job for coach pop and the coaching staff so i prepared blah blah blah, and they were running a double high pick and roll for russell westbrook coming from europe i thought it could have been a good idea to weak westbrook and send him to his left and i remember vividly that in the meeting coaches told me i he can't work here because as soon as you shift your feet against westbrook he's gone he goes by everybody so i learned and the NBA, the athleticism is, is a different animal with respect to Europe, you know? So that was interesting. That's going, if you let me just, you know, going forward a little bit, when they asked me the biggest difference between international basketball and uh, NBA basketball, we can talk about skills, talent, personality, whatever. There are two things usually when you leap open, an NBA player is going to make a good number of shots. And the second thing is the athleticism. There are a lot, in the NBA, there are a lot of players that if they make a mistake in their defensive positioning, for example, then they adjust, they realize it, and they make such an athletic play, and they get back in position. They even come up with a steal. In Europe, I would say 90% of the time, you make a defensive mistake in terms of how you position yourself. It's either a layup or a threat. because especially the bigs don't have that kind of athleticism. But I would say, overall, I would say, all players. But then we have other skills, of course, because I think we can pass the ball very, very well. And majority of our players, of our top guards, they all dominate the two most important passes in modern basketball, which is the pocket pass and the skip pass to the corner. And they see, boom, 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 and the ball goes to the other side. So
2: there are plus and minuses, of course. And coach, with the ability of the guards to make the pass and the shooting in Europe, I guess in the pick and roll, do you then fall more in the line of let's space because of the shooting and the ability of the guard to make the pocket pass and make all those passes versus more cutting around the pick and roll?
0: Yeah, no doubt about that because you need space, absolutely. There is just a constant discussion between me and my staff, which is this. Let's say you're playing a pick and roll from the side, from the slot, go four corners, okay? Pick and roll with five, the ball is going toward the middle. So you have two players ahead of you, correct? And then the roll and one guy behind the pick roll. What do you want those two players in front of you to do versus the shift? You want the backdoor of the guy who's higher, or you want the baseline guy cut and the high guy to just slide to the corner to attack the high shift? Or you want the guy in the corner maybe to set a flare screen for the guy on top? So when I come off the pick and roll, I can turn the corner, shoot, or throw a flare pass. I don't know. Can we get to a point that we read all this? And I would love to, but I think it's very difficult. I think you need to have priorities and teach at least one. We have an ongoing conversation every year on this. The one I like best is, unless you have very, very good shooters, and people cannot cheat too much, is to baseline cut and slide to the corner of the high guy. Other coaches prefer to have the guy who is high, just go back door. But going back to the big big picture, I do not know what is the best, but you have to work on that because that's a situation that in the games will happen hundreds of times. Pick and roll, two guys on the other side, how they shift. Somebody, for example, in Europe, they even bump. You know, they come aggressively with a shift and almost they do a run and jump. Pretty interesting, I think. But it's fun because we're still here after 30 years, I'm still talking about the same thing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh. Absolutely. Well, Coach, we'd like to shift to a segment that we play with every guest called Start, Sub, or Sit. So we'll give you three different topics, ask you to start one, sub one, and sit one, and then we'll have a quick little discussion from there. So, Okay. This first Start, Sub, or Sit has to do with important coaching traits. So I'm going to give you three different coaching traits and what you think are the most important for, let's say, a head coach to have. So, start, sub, sit, decisiveness is the first. Creativity is the second trait. Or the third is adaptability.
0: Adaptability is pretty important. I would put it as a start. Okay. Creativity and the other one.
1: Decisiveness or ability to like make quick decisions.
0: Creativity is a backup.
1: Okay. And I sit, I mean… Decisive. Decisive,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Let's play this.
1: So, Coach, I like to ask about your start, which is adaptability. And I think just from your years of coaching and the different levels, what you've learned about being able to, like we were just talking about, you know, shifting your playbook or shifting pick and roll cuts and coverages, just the ability for coaches to understand how to adapt on the fly with their teams.
0: Well, you need to adapt in terms of X and O's, but it's more important. I think you need to adapt in terms of the evolution of people i give you an example. Communication 20 years ago was done by phone and with a lot of meetings. Now you've got social media, you have cell phones, you have, I would have never imagined that I was going to send a WhatsApp text to my players with maybe a clip, or maybe a comment or maybe a quote that I read on the internet that I thought it was interesting for them to read. You know, less is more, like Coach Pop, Always says we cannot have too many meetings, too many appearances all together. So the way you communicate with these people, I think has been a constant change. So you got to adapt to this for sure. And I would have never imagined to have a son who was listening to rap music all day. (laughs) And I cannot label this with dumb because it's what all young kids do. They love it. So I need to adapt, adjust to this and understand and be open to this. So adaptability is more being open than being stuck with your, say, basics. Okay, let's put it like this.
2: Coach, I'd like to ask you about your decision-making process and what you weigh when making a decision, probably more so some decisions off the court, whether it's lineups, rotations, like we talked about earlier, but, you know, when to make a decision that's maybe good for the player versus when make a decision that's good for the team. Yeah, so... All in all,
0: I always have a big question. When consistency transforms into stubbornness and creativity or being available to change becomes uh, craziness. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There is a line, you know, other things. There is something I always keep in my mind. When everything is going downhill, you better change something because at the worst, you will keep going down. Right. So those two things, for whatever reason, are in my mind. So I don't want to be stubborn. But at the same time, I need to be, you know, positive and try to create new things. And so but it's a different balance. And if I can give you a quick report about my life in basketball, I made more changes in bad times than stick with the plan. I was lucky to have either coaches advising me or my gut feeling telling me, let's change it. it doesn't make any more sense to keep being stubborn. You're being stubborn, you know. And last one. I have a huge, huge part of me that reminds me of what the consequences of my decision can be going forward. So, for example, I'd rather save a player that I feel I have to be loyal to and respect to for whatever he has done for my club. And for example, let him go down in the right way rather than say, okay, I don't need you anymore. You're done.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I don't know if it makes sense.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: I can tell you, Pat, you know what? It's time. But let's find a way. For you to go down in the right way you know what i mean yeah yeah so especially decision related i kept people and i gave maybe one year sanctions to players because of the way they are part of the culture more than because of their basketball skill you know what i yeah, mean yeah so that's important too. but the creativity and all this kind of things it's more than creative creativity has a subtle a second meaning of uh You know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah. I'm more for logical creativity. Let's
2: put it up. Okay. Okay.
1: We are always happy to work with companies, coaches, and creators who add value to coaches and the industry. So we're very excited to announce our newest partner and the official presenter of Start, Sub, or Sit, Just Play. Just Play is the premier platform for engaging your team and managing workflow within your organization. Just play consolidates the platforms you use and integrates with industry leading video tools to help coaches win in four major areas teaching, opponent scouting, prospect recruiting, and analytics. So for more information, visit justplaysolutions.com slash slapping glass today. All right, coach. Our next start sub sit for you is what makes a
2: productive practice in your mind? Okay. So Would it be the competition throughout the practice, the flow of the practice, just being able to get in and out of drills, kind of build up? Or is it the breakdown, kind of the teaching moments when you want to build a concept and just how effective, efficient those moments are?
0: Mm, Very good question. I would like my players to go home and just remind the three things that we did in practice. Mm -hmm. So it's outlining the goal of the practices and go through those, both teaching-wise and executing wise. I don't think necessary. and I've learned this in the NBA and I've seen this now in Europe where we play 90 games a year. I think there are practices where let's say the competitive part is limited, okay? Because you, you don't want to run people to the ground, no. okay? Mm-hmm. But let's say attention to details have to be there. Sometimes in the game, you call it up for a lack of details carrying or efficiency or whatever just with effort. And I don't think it's right to allow that in practice. I'd rather have less competition in terms of contact, whatever, but more mental effort. You know, you've got to be there and understand what we're talking about and what we're trying to improve. That's why I think players have to learn how to walk through. Walk through, it's very important to do it in the right way. You know, we use a walkthrough with game pace, but no shooting and no hitting, but with game pace. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because if you go too slow, in my opinion, if you go too slow in a walkthrough, that's easier to lose focus. You got to learn to stay focused when you're doing fast. You know what I mean? Yeah. And don't fall asleep. So we learn through the year, not to have maybe a contact, meaning that we don't do unnecessary contact. We don't jump on a, face, on a shot, whatever. So there is no chance of an injury, but we do it fast. We do game
1: pace. Coach, if you're going to, with a practice and like a a breakdown segment where maybe you're going to put in the pick and roll spacing or something like that, what would that look like in your practice? Is it five on O to start and then it's breakdown into threes or fours and then back to five on five? Or how would you kind of introduce those?
0: Good question. I usually do a teaching moment at the beginning of the practice before even start stretching or going up and down. I gather all the team and I just go slowly telling them what we're doing and why in that specific thing. Then we stretch, then we start usually four on zero. Four on zero, we go up and down and we take care of the details of the spacing and we do all the different, huh? And then we go in, a, let's say, what I call, let me say in English, it's, well, anyway, if we put the difference, mm-hmm. but it's 50% or we just shape, you know, so they start sure. doing this. Then we go next part of the practice, blah, blah. And when we go back to the offense again, we go five on zero, five on five. Then the day after, if I have a day after, I can break it down in three on three, four on four, two on two, whatever it is. Okay. So overall, it's the old school method. It's the old part, old method, mm-hmm. correct? But probably you can do that. I'm for sure you can do that in one practice, I think.
1: Sure. Yeah. Okay.
0: You okay. need to at least two. And yeah. then when they do player development, let's say, we make sure they shoot or they come off a screen with reference to what we're talking about. You know, so for example, that day we were talking about spacing versus an ice defense. We're doing something related to that.
2: Relating that to the flow of the offense and when you're maybe not with a spacing, but something maybe more tactical or conceptual where the guys are struggling. And I mean, I think we both know this. The struggle is is good. It helps the learning, but will you then be willing to stay on it longer? Or do you think, okay, let's keep it moving or else we're going to lose them?
0: Another good point beginning of my career, I could stay there two hours. Then I learned, thanks to people who taught me, when it's not working, let it there and get back next day. Because that can put you in a situation that you will lose it. You will become too hard on your practice, on your players. That can create bigger problems, bad execution, offensively or defensively. So I learned that I have to say, okay, that's it. Let's move on.
1: Okay. No, right.
0: We'll talk about maybe i can let you know i can raise my voice but let's go to the next topic
1: coach you're off the start or sit hot seat so thanks for playing that game with us and before our last question here thank you very much for your time today this was a lot of fun for us i really
0: enjoyed it please keep me in your email okay yeah okay your mailing list so i can get also the other coaches and watch them on your podcast okay absolutely we will
1: our last question that we ask every coach that comes on is, what's the best investment that you've made in your career as a coach? I would
0: say two. The first one, I was very young. I was 22 and I was taking care of the youth program in Venice. I messed up, by the way, which is the suburb right across Venice. And my head coach back then, we had a player, John Brown, who had played for many years with the Atlanta Hawks played for Norm Stewart at Missouri, played for Cotton Fitzsimmons, played for Yubi Brown, played for a bunch of great coaches. Okay, So he came in the last part of his career and played in our pro team. And my coach in the summer arranged a, a trip for him to go see all the head coaches that John Brown had in his career. John was so nice to arrange the one-on-one meetings with Coach Stewart, Coach Yubi Brown, Cotton Fitzsimmons, plus a couple of more like Coach of in New York. was welcoming all the Italians, you know, back then. Mm -hmm. And coach asked me and said, listen, would you like to come with me? Because I was fluent in English. He was not. So, you know, I just put all my savings and bought a ticket, a plane ticket. That's where the best spent money in my career Mm -hmm. because I had these two weeks where I I thought one-on-one with, because I was the guy who was understanding English, you know? Yeah. So we were making questions to coach Brown. They were all great to us. We spent hours with these amazing coaches. Coach McLeod. So, I mean, beautiful. Second, every time I went to see somebody else practices, those are always great investment in time and learning. I was so lucky, especially the five years that I coached the Olympic team for the first time between 92 and 97, I had some free time and I traveled all over Europe to see the top coaches in Europe. I was 33, 34 back then, and I flew to the States. to. I was welcomed by... Coach Smith at Carolina Coach Larry Brown Again, Coach Ubi Brown And a lot of great coaches Opened the doors for me To watch practice And I learned so much If there is something I can suggest a young coach When you have free time Go watch somebody else Running practice And ask Because we are With very few exceptions We're all very happy To have younger people Come into practice And talk to them You know yeah. So My practice is always open And we always have people Come into practice And you know, One day they asked me are you sure you don't want to keep anything private? I said, "Listen, if the guy that comes is smart enough, we do something you consider smart. He will get to the same point sooner or later, okay? And if he's dumb, he can watch twenty-five practice and he will not learn anything. So, <laughs> so. Yeah. Let him come and let him try."
2: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please make sure to visit SlappingGlass.com for more information on the free newsletter, Slapping Glass Plus, and much more. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass.
1: Would we have a name yet for this thing? I have like Slapping Backboard. <laughs> slapping Glass. <laughs> slapping Glass. That's kind of funny. I like That's that. Let's roll <laughs> Slapping Glass.